It's time for the May 5, 2023 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review, a personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history broadcasting on No Pants Day from the University of California at Irvine on KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And, as always... The face behind the Shroud of Turin, <laughs> Mahler, the fake news dog. <laughs> Good boy, Mahler. <laughs> yes, today. Yeah. Boy, got to calm down there. Today we'll be talking about black smoker vents, bidirectional charging, hugging Jesus, near-death experiences, forbidden semen, and so much more. But first... Have you ever noticed that a lot of successful people are real jerks, Mike? Yes, I have, Nathan. I wonder why that is. I don't know, but I hope you could illuminate me on that particular I'm going to try. Topic. Okay. I'm going to try. From <laughs> Neuroscience Magazine, a new study found that male chimps with more bullying, greedy, and irritable personalities reach higher rungs of the social ladder and were more successful at siring offspring than their more deferential and conscientious counterparts. In other words, nice chimpanzees finish last. Yeah. If that's the case, it got the researchers thinking, why isn't every chimp and human a bully? You know, why not if that's the path to success? Uh, maybe being a jerk gives you an edge, but it backfires when you're older. Maybe that's the deal. Maybe so. One of the researchers said, think of personality traits that lead some people to peak in high school versus later in life. <laughs> but when the team, the research team, tested this idea using 37 years of data going back to some of Jane Goodall's early work of the 1970s, they found the same ugly personality traits were linked to high rank and reproductive success across the lifespan. So we're talking about male chimps, right? We're not talking about female chimps. Well, that's what they looked into. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What's successful? Okay. Gotcha. Male chimps yeah. is what they were looking male. at. Maybe female chimps that brood and are bitches. There maybe, you go. Maybe, maybe so. they're the ones that get ahead. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe right. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Maybe that makes me a, uh, You're a irritable yeah. personality male chimp. Yes, that's right. But maybe the problem I'm thinking yeah. isn't with being the jerk, but with the people who respect the jerk. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's a group think exalting someone yeah. who's a jerk. Exactly. We we'll see. be talking about Donald Trump later, okay. by the way. But I do want to know this, though. Yeah. What kind of mental state does it take to murder a person in public with a crowd milling around? Wow. Pathological, pathological it comes to comes to mind. I, I think know. there's some chimp in there. <laughs> Could be from the Guardian. Jordan Neely, a 30-year-old black man, was choked to death in the middle of the day on a New York City subway car this Monday. Since then, people from New York City's leaders to media commentators have put the focus on Neely's mental health. Now, he was down there. All he was doing was yelling that he needed food and a place to sleep. And he was angry, yeah. and he was throwing his coat down, but that's what he was doing. Yeah. He was saying that he was hungry, and he was saying that he didn't have anywhere to sleep. New York's governor, Kathy Hochul, said that some of the factors in Neely's death were people who are homeless in our subways, many of them in the throes of mental health episodes. Yes. Why does it all come down to that, though? Mayor Eric Adams spoke about serious mental health issues in play here. 
But Jordan Neely didn't kill anyone. He might have been irritating and making yeah. people uncomfortable. And he was not killed by his medical history. Right. A 24-year-old white ex-Marine put him in a chokehold for 15 minutes, according to the witnesses at the scene. Oh, my God. And the medical examiner has ruled Neely's death a homicide. So instead of focusing on Neely's past, maybe we should be asking what kind of state of mind does it take to strangle a man to death in public? Oh, my God. This is the society we live in. Yeah. Somebody's in a subway car. There are a lot of people around. They see someone who is obviously in need of something. Right. He's not hurting anyone, but he's yelling that yeah. he's hungry and he needs help. Somebody tackles him, throws him to the ground, and does the old stranglehold type of thing. Oh, my God. And, and 15 and how- minutes later, the man is dead. That's how we deal with our problems sometimes here. Is there a point in this group dynamic of people watching what is happening for 5, 10, 15 minutes where the relief at not having to hear him yell and scream about not having food and shelter becomes something of a bloodlust? Is there something in that where we go from observant to participant in some sick kind of way? How do you not make that leap into, hey, leave them alone? They'll have to live with it. Well, let, let, me put it in, let, me, let me put it another way. Let's say there were 10 people standing around in this subway car watching this uh-huh. happen. If eight of them had said, knock it off, he's, that's enough. Wouldn't that probably have altered the outcome of the fate of this poor man? Eight of the 10 said, stop it. I'm just asking. Well, they could take a vote. Yeah. Remember our story about Freya the walrus? Yeah, yeah, I do, actually. Yeah. Yeah. From the New York Times, when a 1,300-pound walrus showed up in Oslo last summer, she became the international media sensation of Oslo. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Freya spent time in highly populated areas where some people ignored warnings from officials to keep their distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So last August, in a stupid move not usually associated with Norwegians, authorities declared Freya a threat to human safety, and they killed her. Yes, I remember that part. That's the horrible part. Yes. Uh, Last Saturday, a sculpture in her memory called For Our Sins was unveiled in Oslo. An online campaign that raised $25,000 supported the work's creation by Astri Tonanian, a Norwegian artist. According to the effort's organizer, Hans Erik Holm, the sculpture will always remind ourselves and future generations that we cannot or should not always kill and remove nature when it's in the way. Okay. I wonder if that kind of applies to, uh, to our subway scene. Yeah. If you're a successful chimpanzee, may I recommend a donation to KUCI? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial-free, free-form, free-speech radio, KUCI 88.9 FM. From the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Research News, they say NOAA, Mm -hmm. but I like that. If I say Noah, no one's going to know what that is. Well, the cool kids will. Deep in the ocean, hydrothermal vents like geysers 
Fissures on the seabed from which geothermal heated water discharges, hydrothermal vents, Mm -hmm. can tower up to 200 feet above the seafloor, belching out scalding water warmed by hot magma from underwater volcanoes. A recent expedition to locate more of these vents yielded a new find, a group of black smoker vents emitting water of 645 degrees Fahrenheit along the mid-Atlantic range near Puerto Rico. The hot spring-like structures occur when Earth's plates converge and spread. They are biodiversity hotspots that teem with ocean life that has adapted to temperatures of over 700 degrees. Wow. Yeah, that's a hot place for living things to exist. Yeah. Single-cell organisms is what usually is there, microbial stuff. Yeah. Wow. The hydrothermal vents are also essential to scientists who want more information on the types of conditions thought to have existed on Earth long ago, conditions that gave rise to life on the planet in its early days. From Newsbreak.com. A massive climate crisis-generated dust storm in Illinois led to a major highway pileup, killing at least six people and injuring dozens more. The National Weather Service issued a warning about the dust storm, urging drivers to stay off the roads, but many people were caught in the middle of their travels when the dust storm hit. The pileup involved more than 100 vehicles, including semi-trucks, buses, and cars. It was one of the worst traffic accidents in Illinois history. The crash shut down the interstate for several hours as emergency vehicles and crews worked to clear the wreckage. Experts say that severe weather patterns such as this one are becoming more frequent due to climate change. Have you ever been in one of those, in a dust storm where you were driving somewhere and it was, say, a whiteout. But I've been to a whiteout. Yeah. I've driven in a whiteout. Yeah. Does that count? Yeah. Or that's, that's, what are you going for here? No, just, just curious if you just, when you're in it, that, that sense of that the person behind me driving won't see me until it's too late. Or it's just the general disorientation of being in it. That's in what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's the uh, panic yeah. that ensues when you realize you're going 50 miles an hour. And you're blind. Yeah, exactly. From Grist Magazine, California Senate Bill 233 might require every electric vehicle to be capable of powering your home and the grid through a process called bi-directional charging. Yeah. Making an EV bi-directional capable is a matter of equipping it with the right software and hardware, and some, like the Nissan Leaf and the Kia EV6, already provide the feature. Nice. Climate events and growing power demand increasingly stress the state's energy supplies. Utilities sometimes shut down power lines when wildfire danger is high. Storms can cause widespread blackouts and excess demand when people turn up air conditioners during heat waves have prompted rolling blackouts. When the grid is stressed, wouldn't it be great if instead of firing polluting fossil fuel plants, we used our electric vehicles, said Kurt Johnson, a director at the California nonprofit, the Climate Center. Mm -hmm. A solution like that is called vehicle-to-grid integration. Oh, I like that. Yeah? Yeah. Where EV owners could plug their cars into bi-directional charging stations at home and sell the power in its battery to utilities during peak demand buttressing the grid and reducing their utility bills. 
Even the smallest commonly available EV battery is a multi-day energy storage asset for everybody, said Johnson. A Nissan Leaf can run your house for days. Amen. Yeah. By the way, I, I got one for you. I just read the story. Don't quiz me too closely on this. But it was about cars that have the capability of being carbon capture vehicles. So the crazy irony of all that is the more we drive, the less carbon we'll have in the air, assuming it's not a a gasoline-powered car. But they're developing cars that have the capability of doing carbon capture. So get out there and drive. (laughs) No. No. (laughs) Remember a couple weeks ago when Elon Musk had a rapid, unscheduled disassembly? Yes. Yeah. I'm not talking about now, Twitter. I wish he, well, he's due for one of those himself. Yeah. Yeah, the way he acts. Well, yeah. it's not Twitter either we're talking about here. No, no, we're not. I'm talking about the first test flight of SpaceX's Starship One that ended four minutes after liftoff when the Starship exploded. Yes. Or as Elon likes to say, rapidly, unexpectedly disassembled. <laughs> From Scientific American, expectations for SpaceX's Starship were sky high because SpaceX intends the system super powerful rockets and reusability to revolutionize spaceflight. That's what it's all about here. Yeah. Well, and make them a lot of money. Yeah. While landing NASA astronauts on the moon as early as 2025. That's what Tesla says, or, you know, the guy who started Tesla. And he's usually off by five or ten years, but. Musk and his cronies still call the flight a success, even though it blew apart. But unexpected launch site damage, plus a new lawsuit regarding the permitting process that allowed it to occur, seem likely to, at minimum, delay the project. The launch sparked a fire that, according to a statement from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, burned about 3.5 acres of an adjacent wildlife preserve. But the fire is the least of Elon's worries. Impacts from the launch include numerous large concrete chunks, stainless steel sheets, metal sheets, and other objects hurled thousands of feet away, along with a plume cloud of pulverized concrete that deposited material up to 6.5 miles northwest of the pad site. Mm -hmm. The launch force was so great that according to a post-launch report, every bit of the launch pad blew out completely. It was a catastrophic failure. Nearby homes and businesses were sandblasted by debris. On May 1st, local and environmental groups sued the FAA, claiming that the agency broke the law when it allowed SpaceX to expand operations at its Starbase site in southern Texas without undergoing a complete environmental review. Amen. So he's getting sued. Good. The wetlands around the launch site are vital habitat for shorebirds, and even moderate disruptions could threaten them. The looming question now is when SpaceX might try to fly Starship again. Yeah. I hope it's no time soon. Did uh, Speaking of Elon Musk, and I know the answer before I ask it, so you can go ahead and yell. Uh-huh. Did you happen to see the interview he did with Tucker Carlson? Well, those are two people I don't care about <laughs> at all. Yeah. I don't imagine them giving me any information that will help me understand life. Yeah. Or any facet of life. The only information they're going to give me is outrage or yeah. self-promotion. Well, so I don't watch those okay. things. I, I just, it's interesting to watch two people in desperate need of 
mental health intervention talk to one another. So, do you mean like us? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're not we're not as famous as they are. No. But I think we're, and we certainly. I think are we're just as fascinating in our own way. I. You know. I mean. I think that's, if I may say, Mike, the problem with society. But that we're fascinated by that. By that well, that we've chosen to be fascinated oh. by it. I think it goes back to the chimps. And I think it also explains a little bit about the guy in the, uh, you know. In the, in the subway. The subway. Yeah. If you're wondering why people just stand around and watch, they stand around and watch Elon Musk and Tucker Carlson. They're, they're amused. Hmm. Even if it's death, they're amused. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. Speaking of chimpanzee bullies, Mm -hmm. from Slate Magazine, Donald Trump. Who? Well, you know, he he goes in the same category as Tucker Carlson and Elon Musk. Yeah, I'm okay. There, chimpanzee bullies. Yeah, Donald Trump embraced a January sixth defendant at a diner during a campaign stop, calling the woman who served prison time for her actions during the Capitol attack and once former Vice President Mike Pence executed for treason. Trump called her terrific. Mickey Larson Olson, a QAnon supporter, was convicted last year of unlawful entry on Capitol grounds. Larson Olson said she believes that members of Congress who voted to certify Biden's presidential election should be executed. Larson Olson added that she would like a front seat at Mike Pence being executed and that Pence is the number one person on her list of those who committed treason. She met Trump for the first time at the Red Arrow Diner in Manchester, where they embraced. Mm -hmm. If I were to imagine what it would be like to hug Jesus Christ, not that I'm saying President Trump is Jesus Christ, she said, but just, you know, if I was to imagine that what it would be like to hug Jesus Christ, that's what it felt like for me. It was so personal and intimate. Meanwhile, Trump, who visited Ireland instead of showing up at the federal civil trial where he's accused of raping and defaming E. Jean Carroll, told the assembled media and supporters at a golf course that he probably would choose to head to New York to confront Carroll. I think it's dangerous. That's allowed to happen. This is Trump speaking. So is this the just hold me back defense here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like, I'm going to tear her head off. Pro wrestling. Somebody hold me back. Hold me back. Somebody please hold me back. Yeah. Yeah. So Trump says, I think it's a disgrace that it's allowed to happen, meaning the trial. False accusations against a rich guy, or in my case, a famous rich and political person. (laughs) Trump also flew to Scotland where he was greeted by a -a rent-a-bagpipe band. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Which was a thrill in itself oh, to watch. Yeah, 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 watch, yeah. It's, it's very, you know, if you just kind of step away from it, it's pathetic. And I don't usually like to watch those things. I understand there's a similarity between watching Elon Musk and Tucker Carlson well, and well, wait turning a around. Can I, let, let me throw this in the mix. Okay. Okay. Yes, you're right. I agree with you. I, I, 
but at the same time, those two people and this clown that you're you're talking about now mm-hmm. have had a profound impact on our society. And to see, watch them be stupid and self-serving and narcissistic with each other mm-hmm. is, I think, valuable for people to pull to understand and hopefully to see him, these people for who they are. Yeah. And you're right. You're right. I spend way too much time indulging myself in this shit. But, but well, uh, but I always go back to uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. Small minds discuss people. Average minds discuss events. Great minds discuss ideas. In the case, what I'm doing right now is discussing people. And I understand what you're saying. It's helpful to know these things. But on the other hand, meanwhile, Trump's lawyer, Jack Takapina, mm-hmm. said that Trump would not be attending the trial or testifying. But he wants to. Anyway, he really wants to. <laughs> Meanwhile, Trump jurors hearing E. Jean Carroll's rape civil suit against Donald Trump were shown a deposition video of Trump confusing the woman he allegedly raped, E. Jean Carroll, with his ex-wife, Marla Maples. It's Marla, Trump said during a deposition for the case when shown a picture of himself, Carroll, and Carroll's ex-husband in the 1980s. That's Marla. Yeah, that's my wife. Oh. He, he doubled down on it. Trump said about E. Jean Carroll, who he previously said about E. Jean Carroll, she's not my type. Yeah. So it makes you wonder, is Marla his ex-wife not his type? I don't know. I think it's just babbling. Or maybe he needs glasses. Maybe he needs glasses. That's his problem. This has been the problem all along. He can't see very well. So the whole insurrection thing was he didn't read the Constitution because he doesn't have glasses. Exactly. He's an irritable Greedy chimpanzee <laughs> because he doesn't have glasses. With, with, poor, with poor eyesight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. From the New Republic. Well, this is more important news here. Just wanted to get some Trump babbling out mm-hmm, of the way. Mm-hmm. I wish that stuff would just go away. Can, one, can I just and, add this and I item? Blame, and I blame us. I can't, can, I'm just going to add this item because I know you hate all of these things I'm about to say. For good reason. For the right reasons. There is an ongoing investigation right now looking into Trump's involvement with the Saudi-backed Live Golf Tour Uh and and the basically the glad handing of setting up these tournaments at Trump-owned golf courses. Uh There is an investigation, I hope a criminal investigation. So that ties together a lot of things that I don't like and I know you don't like. The Saudi Arabians and their behavior, golf. And Donald Trump. And their orbs. And their orbs. <laughs> and their orbs. You're right. I do hate all that stuff. <laughs> From the New Republic, the Supreme Court announced that it would decide next term whether to eliminate or rewrite the Chevron Doctrine, a major longstanding legal precedent that allows federal agencies, in the absence of clear instruction from Congress, to interpret laws. Eliminating the doctrine would make it far easier for the courts to block and overturn federal regulations. Anything from Clean Air Act restrictions to food safety requirements to workplace health mandates. The real question now is whether the court will go big or go carefully, because it seems like it's... They're going to go. They're going to go. (laughs) The case to be decided is about the Magnuson-Stevens Act, the main federal law that regulates commercial fishing in U.S. coastal waters. Since Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson 
took part in that decision while serving on the court. She has recused herself from the Supreme Court's review of it. The federal government has urged the court to let the status quo stand. It warned of the upheavals that could happen if the Supreme Court overturns one of the most important precedents on federal regulatory power. Federal courts have invoked Chevron in thousands of reported decisions, and Congress has repeatedly legislated against its backdrop, the government wrote in its brief to the court. Regulated entities and others routinely rely on agency interpretations that courts have upheld the Chevron framework. By centralizing interpretive decisions in agencies supervised by the president, Chevron also promotes political accountability, national uniformity, and predictability, and it respects the expertise agencies can bring to bear in administering complex statutory schemes. Which is a way of saying what's going on now is working fine. Yes. We have these agencies for a reason. Yes, yes. As Steve Bannon famously said at one of the the first CPAC meeting after Donald Trump was elected, we are all about dismantling the administrative state. And they have been working on it, and these clowns have been at it for years. From Politico, more than 250 million people faced severe hunger last year, with people in seven countries on the brink of starvation, according to a UN-led report. The fallout of Russia's war in Ukraine, including high food prices, was the major driver of hunger, particularly in the world's poorest countries, which have still not recovered from economic shocks triggered by COVID-19. Conflicts were another key factor, along with climate change and extreme weather events. Hmm. We talk about this, and then in our own subway system, a guy is screaming that he's hungry mm. in the richest country in the world, yeah. in the richest city in the world. From the Washington Post, U.S. regulators approved the first vaccine to prevent the respiratory ailment RSV. There's some good news for There's you. There's some good news. A decision that marks a turning point in the six-decade-long quest to protect vulnerable people against the virus. A shot developed by GSK to protect older adults against the respiratory syncytial virus is the first to get a green light from the Food and Drug Administration. A Pfizer vaccine is following close behind and is under consideration for older adults and for pregnant people as a maternal vaccination that will protect newborn children. Wow. So that's a pretty good deal. That's a good deal. Yeah. From Nature Magazine. In a new study, a team at MIT, Harvard University, Caltech, and other institutions reported that they observed a planet, likely a hot Jupiter-sized world, spiring close to a dying star that was 1,000 times its size until it was finally ingested into the star's core. Mm -hmm. Though this Jupiter-sized world was swallowed by a star 1,000 times its size. Gravitational pull, right? Well, yeah. Pulled into its orbit. The scientists say the star grew bigger and more than 100 times brighter in just 10 days after it ate the planet, quickly faded, and then eventually turned to normal as if it finished digesting the planet. Many astronomers believe Earth will suffer a similar fate. I'm just going to say, what if? Billions of years down the line, when our own evolving sun will run out of fuel, balloon, and consume its closest planetary neighbors. Us. Wow. We, we need to kill the sun right now. 
Yeah. Because it's going to get good thinking. Yeah. Good thinking. That's uh, what AI would the, do. That's, we got to yeah. get ahead of this thing. Yeah. Humans likely won't be around for this event. Oh, remember. okay. All right. As our growing sun will probably fry Earth and everything <laughs> on it first. Yeah. yeah. You won't be laughing then. I uh, won't be laughing then. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, <laughs> what is it, Mother? Yeah. He's been sleeping during this whole thing. I think. The, I know. I, the whole chimpanzee I mean, thing I'm, set him off. Yeah. Well, yeah. Where you been? <laughs> From live science. In their last minutes of life, some people's brains generate a surge of surprisingly organized-looking electrical activity that may reflect consciousness. Oh. Yeah. According to new research, this surge can sometimes occur after a person's breathing stops, but before the brain stops functioning. The activity pattern is somewhat similar to what is seen when people are awake or in dreamlike states, leading to speculation that these electrical surges reflect the otherworldly experiences reported by people who've had close brushes with death. A sense of looking at your body from the outside, the white light at the end of the tunnel, or reliving important memories. Like the May 5th edition of Weekly Signals here on KUCI. Yeah. That would be it. That would That's be it. Yeah. What if that is it? Yeah. What if you're lying there and, you know, yeah. everything kind of goes dark and then all of a sudden you see me yeah. on May 5th, no. 2023? That's not a good no. thing. No. I'm living my life all wrong. <laughs> However, since all the patients in the new study died... <laughs> It's impossible to know if they had these experiences. I guess I'll never know, <laughs> I or guess, you'll never know. I guess know. we'll never know. <laughs> yeah. The last thing you remember yeah, is yeah, me yeah, sitting here yeah. behind the microphone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah Mahler, yeah. you too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> From BBC News, Dutch judges ordered a man suspected of fathering more than 550 children through sperm donations to stop donating. What? The 41-year-old man, identified in Dutch media only as Jonathan M., was taken to court by a foundation protecting the rights of donor children and by the mother of one of the children allegedly fathered from his sperm. Dutch clinical guidelines say a donor should not father more than 25 children in 12 families. Boy, that's a tough one. But judges said the man had helped. No, it's not. But judges said the man had helped produce between 550 and 600 children since he started donating sperm in 2007. That's a long time to be donating sperm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, 15 years. He must have been a good gig for him. If he continues with his donations, he would face a $110,000 fine for each donation. Wow. As well as additional fines. Yeah. That's, I don't know what to say. You know, speeding, I guess, you know. Cut off his subscription to Pornhub. The donor deliberately misinformed prospective parents about the number of children he had already fathered in the past, the district court in The Hague said. Mm -hmm. All these parents are now confronted with the fact that the children in their family are part of a huge kinship network with hundreds of half-siblings, which they did not choose. The court considered it sufficiently plausible that this has or could have negative psychosocial consequences for the children. This included psychological problems with, about identity and fears of incest. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of I mean, yeah. half-brothers and sisters out there. Yeah. 
The point is that this kinship network with hundreds of half-brothers and half-sisters is much too large, the court said. The interests of the children weigh too heavily, and that is why it is forbidden for the gentleman to give further semen. And finally, from The Guardian... A South Korean art student who ate a banana that formed part of an art installation by Italian artist Maurizio Catalan said he did so because he was hungry. <laughs> Noah Hunsu, who was filmed brazenly removing the banana, which was duct tape yes. onto a wall yes. at the Lium Museum in of Art in Seoul, unpeeling it and eating it in front of stunned onlookers. Yes before reattaching the banana skin to the wall using the same tape and walking off with a satisfied grin. Catalan, the artist based in New York, was reportedly informed about the incident and simply replied, No problem. (laughs) You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. WeeklySignals.com Subscribe now.